Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today, we are recording episode number 78. We have a lot of exciting things going on today, but before we do any of those things, we want to... I don't know if he knows we're even doing this, but Matt just passed all of his comp exams, both his oral and his written exams, and he's now officially a PhDC. Matt, congrats. Thank you. Congrats, Woo-hoo. Matt. That's a big deal. Yeah, I don't have any more tears. My tear ducts are, are dry. I don't have any more tears left, so I made it through. It was kind of kidding. an emotional emotional experience. Yeah. But tell, for yeah. like, I didn't know what PhDC meant. Yeah. Um, what does that even mean? So different universities do this a little differently, but PhDC stands for PhD candidate. It uh, it is associated with someone who has made it through in the United States, made it through all the didactic or educational components. So I made it through all the courses. I have taken a written exam, a comprehensive exam on all that stuff, which was traumatizing. And then the <laughs> second part was writing up a prospectus, which is what I'm proposing to do. Mine is like... 48 pages long and then have a, having that plus a PowerPoint. It's like a, uh, it's, it is, it's an oral defense um, in front of all the faculty of what I'm doing. And then they get to question me and that took about two and a half, three hours total. So it was very intense, but managed to pass. And so that's being, that was graded. And so got through that. And then now, since I am a candidate, it means that my next step is to begin the research portion. So I'm in the process of really learning how to utilize a, um, large dynamometer so we have a humac norm and our motion analysis uh system and then really honing um how what the methods are going to be like for the study and then it'll be recruiting subjects and getting that underway and writing some chapters for a dissertation pretty awesome and then it'll be in the realm of is it still in the realm of masters running runners with achilles injuries yeah it's looking at masters runners and trying to understand are there any mechanisms from a biomechanics or strength perspective that may be influencing their risk of Achilles tendinopathy, which is the most common pathology among uh, masters runners. Cool. Well, I know that I can say this. I'm sure DJ would agree to at least some extent. Um, watching you go through this process of it, it's not like you just go take this test and you pass. Like it's that's not the process of this whole thing. It's tons of feedback and it's people yeah. trying to break down your work and to watch you have to learn how to accept feedback and change and learn and grow. It's been an encouragement for me and congrats again yeah. on, on getting through it. And now Thank we get you. to see what you can do from here. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I agree. To, mad respect. Oh, Thanks. Mad, mad respect. Speaking of mad respect, Badgers blew it today. They could have had sole Big Ten championship to themselves for basketball, and they lost to Nebraska, who is last in the Big Ten. So that's pretty cool. Classic Badgers. Classic Badgies. And this is why I don't put my heart towards them and I just enjoy the wins when they happen and don't try to get excited. So anyway, here we go. We're going to jump into our subjective. Uh, So it's time for our subjective and today is a bit special. We actually have a giveaway associated with the subjective thanks to Running Warehouse. So I'm going to, they're giving away a $50 gift card and there are different ways to enter. So here are your two ways. The first one is that you can leave a review of this podcast, which I've have almost literally begged people for. (laughs) Uh, But if you leave a review, leave a review of this podcast, take a screenshot of your review, and then you email it uh, to us at doctorsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com. So that's doctorsofrunning, all one word, podcast. It's all no spaces, no capitals, doctorsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com. Send us that screenshot of your review and you'll be entered 
for one entry. The second way to enter is to answer the subjective question on YouTube in the comments below this video. So if you do both of them, you get two entries. And then our plan is to announce the winner on the 13th. Uh, we'll reach out to the winner and we'll also announce it in our next episode. Um, that's when we're that's when we're recording our next one is on the 13th. So get excited um, and we'd love to have you enter a $50 gift card from Running Warehouse. Uh, so thanks to them for making that happen. But here's a subjective question. We've been talking about uppers a lot. So our subjective question is, what is the best fitting running shoe you've ever had? And it can go back as long as you want, but which one has been the best fit you've ever had? And DJ, you're thinking, but what would you say? Why you gotta pick me first, man? Fine, Matt, you do it. Sweet. I, the, <laughs> my favorite upper of all time was the, and the, you guys have heard me talk about this, but the Mizuno Wave Universe 4. I don't know. I can't, I couldn't say specifically other than it was just so light. And that was, you know, we talk about having a, the, sh the upper disappear on your foot. That was yeah. one of them. But the shoe also kind of disappeared on your foot too. So that was, that's my pick off the top of my head. Cool. DJ, what you got? I've got a couple in mind. Um, racing wise, I've actually really liked the Puma Deviate Nitro Elite Ooh. from a racing side. It locks down well. It's really light. It's very minimalistic. There's not much going on, but it still holds your foot to the platform, which is pretty beautiful for a racing yeah. shoe. Like, and it's just so, I don't know, there's just enough room for everything and it doesn't feel like it's over overly tight in any specific region. So I've really enjoyed this. Um, and you didn't have any, you didn't have any heel problems with that one, right? Nothing. Yeah, yeah no, some it was people good. Did, but... I mean, yeah, from a racing standpoint or, per, or performance shoe, that's been a solid one. On the training side of things, RIP, but the Mizuno Wave Rider 23 was mm. awesome. It really that was. was one of my favorite uppers I've ever put on my feet. Um, the mesh one. Yep. They didn't have the knit one yet, right? They didn't like do the that. The 24 was when they de debuted the knit. Yep. However, knit 25 is pretty freaking good. It is. So, um, I don't know. I, I would say the Knit 25 of the Mizuno Wave Rider or the Mizuno Wave Rider 23, the last just seems to work pretty well for my foot. The Topo Magnafly 4 is another honorable mention on there. Um, the last of Puma, um, Adidas, Topo, those all seem to work pretty well for me. I thought so, you were going to say the original Seller Mesh, actually. Original Seller Mesh. That was a good one. That you, was a you really loved good that. one. Yeah, but it's a it's a little wide in the forefoot. Like it's, okay. you still got to lock it down a little bit. But yeah. it's really good as far as breathability and like holding its shape. The material um, was good, but, but the, the material was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I you've heard me rave about the Magnafly Four, but actually that's not that's not actually my best pick of all time. The Newton Fate Six for me was I think I don't know what Newton does with their uppers, yeah. but it's just a very simple layered mesh that. Just feels great on the foot, breathes really well, and locks down like perfectly. Really good comfort. So that's that's my my top, and then Magnafly Four kind of slides in after that. Um, though again, I can't knock it because I love that one. I got to give a quick shout out to Newton as one being one of the few companies that like it's actually comfortable and safe to wear their shoes sockless. They do a really good job with uppers. Oh yeah, actually, I thought you might say the uh, Nusa Try. 13 as well oh yeah. that's another you know that's another good one how could i forget that yeah new citra is super solid yeah and newton gravity plus is amazing i mm -hmm. think i as far as upper and everything goes 
I think I based mine almost more off my own foot shape and last mm. and the ones that work for me. But yeah, Newton Gravity Plus is an amazing upper. Yep. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about two different shoes today in the podcast. And then at the end, we're going to talk about how shoes should fit and what are the consequences of having shoes that don't fit well and kind of give a landscape of how uh, how the current industry defines fit and if that's something that you can actually rely on or not. So we'll dive into that stuff at the end. But first, we're going to talk about two shoes that, uh, that we've gotten a good amount of miles on by we, I mean, Matt and David. And the first of those is the... Freedom five five <laughs> the Freedom Five, <laughs> the Freedom from Five, Freedom Five from Saucony, which the Freedom Four came out it was the first Power Run PB shoe that was a trainer and not really in kind of the endorphin line. But David, why don't you give us the specs for that shoe? Yeah, and just to add, no plate. I mean, everything else that had Power Run PB had a plate in it, so. The Freedom 5 or Freedom 4 at the time was kind of that first daily training slash performance shoe, kind of do-it-everything shoe. Um, but this is the Freedom 5 here, full-length power on PB. Specs, we're looking at uh, sample size, men's size 9, 8.4 ounces, women's, um, was it 8 size 8, size 7.5? 8. 8 size 8, okay, cool. 7.4, uh, 7.3 ounces, Um we're looking at 27 millimeters in the heel. We're looking at 23 millimeters in the forefoot. So we got a four millimeter drop. Like I said, full length power on PB, full length outsole for the most part, outside of the midline groove there. Um, kind of like a crossover shoe in some ways. It can do a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, not not too much of a bevel, but just a tiny little bit. We'll get into all that in a little bit, but those are the specs. Yeah. When you, and I think it's $150, um, listed so when when you guys put the shoe on srp 150 when you when you guys put the shoe on uh did you notice any major fit differences between the four and the five and how did this one fit for you guys yeah it's uh it's pretty dialed in for the most part it's i liked the upper of the four so it was i was a little bit reluctant about some of the changes but I noticed that it hugged the midfoot a little bit tighter than the previous version, at least for me. I don't know if that's the thickness of the tongue versus the previous or not, but I can notice along the medial and lateral aspect, right through the dorsal part of the shoe, for the listeners, dorsal meaning if you're looking at a foot here, the top of the foot, um, where that tongue would be, just kind of like, not irritation, but just a presence, like I could feel it there. And, um, the lockdown though was a little bit better through the midfoot region. Um, outside of that, everything else was pretty similar. I mean, you still have that little retro curve in the calcaneus region. The heel counter is still moderately flexible. Like it's all, it's all there as far as the components of the freedom. Like it's still a freedom, but, um, yeah. Something I noticed in terms of that midfoot to toe box kind of tightness was definitely notable different. So I haven't ran in the shoe. I'll be, you know, I'm still coming back from injury, but, um, using the shoe around the house and things like that, just sliding in, I felt like the four had this almost like slightly roomy toe box luxury kind of feel to it. Lifestyle luxury. Whereas I feel like this one is more wrap your foot for those with a wide foot. It might be pretty snug, uh, just because it's, it's constricting around that midfoot and the 
beginning part of the toe box. But Matt, what do you got on fit? Uh, I'm I'm with you where I definitely found the fit much more snug and secure. Whereas again, the five was a little more flexible, had a little more a little more open. So it felt like yeah, I, it was it a little more relaxed fit. I slid a little bit. It wasn't bad. Whereas this one, much more. I, I don't know if I would say performance, but it's just a, it holds the foot a little more snug throughout. Upper's a little thicker. Everything feels yet yeah, just a just a little less flexible, but a little more secure overall. Did what about breathability with that? And was the heel counter okay for you, Matt, with your sensitivity yeah, back it, there? It was. It to me, it's it's still in that moderate flexibility range. It does for whatever reason, and maybe it's because there's more security and I'm not moving as much, it felt a little bit more prominent, so I was a little hesitant to take this out. I can I can definitely notice it, and those people that have sensitivities back there, I would definitely be a little cautious, but there is some cushioning here at least. So this is a, for those with heel sensitivities, be a little cautious coming into this because that, that counter is still pretty prominent. Yeah, and I will say too, it's like lightly padded. It's mm-hmm. It's not exactly like a premium trainer by any means in terms of the heel security and plushness around that heel counter it's still like pretty minimal so yeah if you're sensitive to the heel stuff that might be something worth looking into i I usually don't have any problems there so i will say i didn't i don't have any security issues but what's super fascinating is that they actually i don't know if i've missed this on other shoes but do you notice there's two extra lace holes down here I know the shoe is black, so I can, it's hard for it to show up on the camera. But yeah, they're sneaky. I I really like that in terms of having that flexibility to adjust the laces, and we'll talk about yeah. lacing techniques in just a second. But I I really like that. I haven't messed with it, but just having it there was nice. It's a big to me is a big deal. But cool. that's me. Let's transition to talking about the the foam underneath. So you have the Power on PB, which is their kind of premium that they put in their top level racing shoes. We never know exactly what formula companies put into shoes because we know that one, you know, for example, like a power run, one power run is not equal to another power run. It's like the same type of foam, but they can, they can play with it. And so we don't know if this is the exact same type of power run PB that you see in the speed and the pro, but how would you compare, like, what, what's it like? Is it, is it firm? Is it soft? What kind of bounce do you get from it? Uh, what's the running experience in the, in the shoe? I'd say for those starting out, know that this is not an endorphin pro or speed, right? The stack height is very different. It, it's a different feel. Like when you start picking up the pace a little bit, you'll get a little bit of that balance, but it's not that same max stack height. So just know that's different. And, I, you know, everybody's going to interpret this a little differently. When I'm like jogging around in it, it feels kind of like moderately soft to a little bit firm. And I don't really get that that Piba kind of bounce until I really hit the ground. And even then, sometimes if I'm running a little bit too quick, it feels like it does bottom out just a little bit and I can feel the the road. But in terms of having a shoe that like, you know, and I think this was the purpose that I can do some like non-running workouts in, it gives me a little bit better ground feel when I sink and I can feel the ground. So there's a balance there where to answer your question, it can be a little bit of both. It just depends on how much you sink into the sole, how much weight you put into that. And I think the softer people foams, that becomes more apparent, I think, personally. Yeah, I think Matt hit it right on the hit the nail there. Um, it's a little bit lower to the ground. I mean, with the 27 stack and no plate, you're going to suspend. You have a full contact outsole. You're going to feel the ground. You're going to have some ground feel. 
And I think cushioning wise, it does feel like it leans right in the middle there. It doesn't feel soft. It doesn't really feel firm to me either. It's like right in the middle. And you don't really get that much responsiveness out of it until you really load it. And I mean this in the absolute nicest way possible, I promise. But it's like you slabbed a super foam underneath like a pair of vans or something. <laughs> like it's a relatively like it's like you could lifestyle this shoe and I have outside of running and and not feel like you're doing anything weird. Like there's no crazy rocker on it. Like it's a pretty balanced shoe overall. I could go to the gym. I could go on a run. I can wear this in the clinic. I can wear it downtown. Like it's kind of like one of those shoes that you can do a little bit of everything in. Not all of us are as cool as you, though, DJ. Not all of us can pull just anything off and just go downtown with it. (laughs) Just kidding. That's true. I did wear the Zebra Sketchers downtown one day. Did you really? And I killed it, yeah. That's just confidence. I'm totally with David, by the way, about, like, Vans-esque feel to the... It's like if Vans finally updated, got a new foam and, like really revamped their upper and <laughs> made things, like nicer you say finally like, updated as though they should become a running shoe company they, they finally you know, they updated were, their phone. they were at one point right so yeah really? it's like yeah somebody correct me if i'm wrong right the comments below like please back me up unless i'm nuts but yeah it's just it's 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 a good shoe that it's a shoe that i would feel comfortable lifting in feel comfortable walking casually in and then doing like a shorter run in it's it's got that kind of pro plus like that snugger profiles i had the same thought but that's gonna be my question for you guys what's the is there an identity crisis going on with the shoe at all like it's got like a performance fit is it a performance running shoe can you take this thing on long runs can you know is that what it would be good for is it really just a crossover shoe and then some small runs what do you guys think and maybe you agree or disagree with each other you, you could use it as a long... Some people might be able to use this as a long-run shoe, right? But it's going to be a really small population. It's people who are used to less shoe. And I know David's like, oh, you know, he mentioned the stack height, right? So what is it, 27 millimeters yeah, 27 in, the heel, in the heel? Which, you know, sounds like a lot, but when you, you're in this in this kind of foam and it compresses, it's not as much as you would think. It's a little lower to the ground. So somebody who's used to that, yeah, but the majority of the population, I don't. this is not a long-run shoe. This is a... You know, for me, a shorter effort shoe that kind of crosses a little bit into that lifestyle stuff can also handle because it's just a little closer to the ground, some gym stuff. So I think crossover might be a good word for this, but it's it could be for people used to a little less shoe, a daily trainer easily. It's just going to depend on the person. Yeah. Yeah. And is it a perform? Can it do performance too? It could. I mean, I've done. I've done some strides on the track and I've used it for warmups and I've hit some pretty decent splits in this before switching into spikes or doing whatever I'm going to do. Does it feel like that's its lane? I'm not going to go as far to say yes. I mean, sure. it's it's not. That, that's not really its goal. But can it do it? Sure. I mean, it's got a little bit of responsiveness. If you look through the outsole too, like you've got this filled in section. It's pretty much a full contact for the most part through the basically from the midfoot, the end of the midfoot, going through the forefoot forward. And you've got a little bit of rigidity, so you've got some snappiness to the shoe. But it does feel a little bit funky when you're, like, really turning over. But it's but it, but it can do it. Like, it's doable sure. enough to where you can kind of look beyond it if you do like this shoe for other reasons. Um, I would say that it shines the most, though, kind of in that multi-use range. I mean, whether it's just, like, easy runs, uh, shakeouts... 
or even just an easy run at some strides. Um, if you're running to warm up for the gym, you can do that. Um, it, it, it can do quite a bit. It's just, I don't know if I would quite lean into that performance category just yet, but, but it, but it dabbles on it. Like it could, it's just, I don't think I'd put it in there. Right. So when you look at the freedom and you look at some of the specs and you lift up another shoe in the Canvara 13, you have pretty similar looks to it. Weight is going to be lighter in the Canvara. Um, I don't even remember, What's the stack? Do you remember, David, off the top of your head? Stack of Canvara? It's, it's actually think pretty similar. It's like 28, 24, I think. Okay. But you have four millimeter drops, but the big difference is midsole and some of the rocker geometry. So what what would you guys say? What's the difference between those two foams and how that creates? Is it the same shoe? Are they pretty different? What would you say between those two? No, they're pretty different. I mean, we're talking about the geometry on the Convara is definitely a little bit more of a rocker geometry, but it also uses that power run midsole and it's much more flexible. So when you load it, you're going to have a lot more flexibility through that shoe. If you look and you have that split design through the heel, you have those flex grooves going along the outsole. I don't have one for the viewers. I'm sorry to show you right now as I'm talking, but you have this like almost like bifurcated flex groove that goes down the forefoot. Thanks, Matt. And it goes down through the midfoot and then it goes through the heel ultimately. And you have pretty much like not a full contact outsole, like the definition of that. And so you're going to have a little bit of a softer ground feel almost, even though it's EVA, because you don't have that outsole layer. You feel much more grounded in the freedom, whereas you're going to have more suspensiveness just because of the nature of Power Run PB, but you're going to have a little bit of more of that firmness. More ground feel in Kinvara, right? No, said, actually. You said, like, like you say in more the ground feel in the freedom. You in feel the, more I, grounded I agree, in yeah. the freedom. In I the agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, you, the, yeah. the freedom feels lower than the Kinvara, yeah. even though it isn't. It's one millimeter different. Yeah, and I think part of that is the full contact outsole and the combination of the Power Run PB midsole. You're going to have a little bit more suspensiveness in the foam itself, but you're also going to have that firmness that's coming from the outsole component as well. Mm. And so I actually feel a little bit more grounded and a little bit less, I don't know, like, I, I hate to say runnable because it is runnable, but it feels less like a running shoe than the Convara. Like you put that on, you're like, oh, I'm going to go for a run. When I put this on, I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm going to be silent downtown. But I but I could run <laughs> if I want to. And, and there's no problem with that. Like I think it actually is like that Swiss Army knife and it's a pretty versatile shoe overall. And it's like there's not really any major rocker to it. It's very, very slight. And it kind of lets you do what your, what your gate mechanics do, like the Canvara, but it's not as flexible. There's not as, like, it definitely has a little bit more structure and a grounded feel, I guess is where I'm trying to go with this, and a little bit more rigidity up front. Which one is softer and which one is bouncier? I would say the Canvara is softer only because there's no full contact outsole. So you you... Basically, it's just that slab of EVA, and there's no nothing else really. And so you land. I feel like you get a little bit more ground feel, and like, like we said earlier, you just feel grounded in the freedom versus the Canvara. Bouncier, I think, is an interesting question because mm-hmm. they're they're ev- they're they're pretty even in their own way, but the Canvara has way more flexibility. So it depends on how you load it. Like with the freedom. I feel like it's not really bouncy until you push it. Whereas the Canvara, 
it's probably I'd probably say the Convara just across the multiple uses because you are, you're going to notice that regardless of what pace you're going through the forefoot at least through the toe off stage. Matt, any agreement disagreement there with that one? I I totally agree. Where like from a workout perspective, I would choose the the Convara hands down, and I have I've still taken the Freedom out and done some hill repeats in it and some strides, and. Yeah, once you really push it, it, it does engage the Piba. But again, it's I, I feel like it's a firmer shoe just because that foam compresses so much and I can feel the ground a little bit more. Whereas when I just want to move quick, the the fit and the, the way the Kavara is set up is more conducive for being a pure performance shoe. And it's lighter, right? It's almost, an, what is an ounce and a half? Almost an ounce and a half Yeah, man, lighter. that thing's yeah. about 7.4, 7.3, something like 7.2 that. It's now? It's, that's, that's, this last one was nuts. It's absurd. So, but I think in terms of like wearability and, and like walking around town or doing a gym workout or maybe doing some like, you know, like a CrossFit workout or something like that, I, the Freedom 5 wins because of the better ground feel that little extra rigidity, there's also a little bit better grip on the bottom with that outsole. So I think they have different purposes. And I think somebody who's kind of like a well-rounded athlete may do better in something like the Freedom. Whereas if you're looking for a little bit more running specific focus, the Kinfara is going to be that. That's interesting. And the reason I asked that was because if you look on paper and look at, oh, power run PB, it's going to be super soft, super bouncy. But you have to factor in the other parts of the shoe, which include things like the outsole. That's right. pretty thick rubber out there right. on the, on the yeah. Freedom. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty durable. So it's going to be great. And I think that's a really important point to emphasize is you can have these individual pieces, but it's the sum of all of them together that makes the product. And also you have to factor in how you interact with the shoe too. So Cool. Let's talk about stability of the Freedom 5. Um, I think some of the unique characteristics include the heel outsole pattern and a little bit of wrapping on that. But why don't you guys talk about stability of the shoe? You've already mentioned full ground contact outsole, but what do you got here for people looking at stability? Uh, I mean, it's for what it is, it's not too bad. Like, it's not a stability shoe by any means, but you do have, we talked about the full contact outsole, but the design of it, I mean, there's it's got a tiny bit of a split heel. I wouldn't go that far to say it is just because it's still covered. And if you feel it, like it's still present, but you have that deep flex groove through the middle um, through the midline of the shoe, at least basically from the most distal part of the rear foot all the way through the midfoot, uh, as well as exposed midsole through there. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a guide rail sensation. Uh, you have that tighter lockdown through the midfoot. So you feel a little bit more connected to the platform. The forefoot's a little bit more rigid because of the outsole design. Uh, with that said, I mean, it's kind of just like a slightly more stable, soft, neutral shoe than anything else. Like, I, I wouldn't go as far to say that it's like stable because if you have some stability demands through the midfoot, you're probably going to still have a hard time with this shoe. But um, for what it is, they did a pretty good job. Hmm. Cool. Matt, you got anything to add there? Uh, I agree. This is not a stability shoe by any means. It's not unstable. It's just there's no – I mean there there is a heel counter – there are some very mild like sidewalls, but because it's Piba, it's really soft and I don't notice them that much. So I think people who might be sensitive to stability methods, it's going to be a really good one because there's really nothing major. It's not bad. It's just this is a neutral shoe. That's the way it is. 
I think they called the freedom for a reason too. Like they want yeah, it to that be makes sense. something yeah. to, to like know, let your little, foot do little something. A little bit more, you know, it's flatter, a little bit more flexible. This your your foot's going to do what it's going to do, right? If you want stability, you know, something like the guide might be a better option for you or something like that. And they like used that. to do the they used to do the liberty, right? That was like their oh, stability I've, freedom. I forgot about that until you mentioned that. Yeah, are they still doing a liberate or is that shoe Liberty? Gone? I think they got rid of the liberty. liberty? Yeah. Is it liberty? Am I making that? Yeah, up? I think it was, was it Liberate or Liberty? I think it was Liberate's Puma. I want to almost say it was Somebody Liberty. fact check us. Let us know. Somebody the, help us. Yeah. It's the Liberty. I'm pretty sure, but somebody I think can tell us. Nathan's below. right. Yeah. They got rid of Liberty, but thank goodness they didn't get rid of Freedom, so, you know. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> of course. No, sorry. So, <laughs> how uh anything else you guys want to add to this shoe? Otherwise, we're going to jump to the second shoe. Yeah, I definitely think as a good-looking like crossover shoe that's got that's multi-sport, multi-function in terms of you know your CrossFit or your you know hit kind of stuff. I think this is a great option in terms of like serious performance because there's a people foam. There, there, there. I think there are other options, but as a like gym shoe or short run shoe, I think that's where this shines and it looks good. So David can yeah. wear it on the town. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Yes. You got any? Anything else to add, David, before we move on? No, I think it's just a pretty sleek shoe. It can do a little bit of everything, and I think it still has a place in the market because there are some people looking for that. Um, that's about it. Yeah, it I like, wouldn't quite go to... What's that? I was going to ask if it's like any other... You know, it's got the you know, super foam, kind of super critical foam, no plate. Is it comparable to any of those other non-plated super foamed shoes? I think it's a different shoe. I mean, if you look at something like the New Balance Rebel V2, like that one's designed to run. A lot of them are designed specifically to go fast. And this one, it's it's kind of like that Swiss Army knife, but it dabbles more into non-running things as well versus just running where it's like, oh, we can go fast, we can go slow, but we're still running. Whereas like this one, the geometry is a little less aggressive. It's a little bit more flat, a little bit more low to the ground. And it's it's just kind of a nice universal shoe that can do a little bit of everything. And it's aesthetically nice too. So you can still right. dress it up. It kind of reminds me almost like the Hoka Hupana in a way. Do you guys know that shoe? <laughs> yeah, dude. You What did you whip out a couple weeks ago? The, uh, the Reiki, the Evo the Reiki. Reiki. <laughs> just, let's dig deep into the recesses of our Hoka memories yeah the hupana yeah for sure it's kind of like that lifestyle active wear shoe you could still run in it like there's nothing wrong with running in it but it's it's kind of designed to do a little bit of everything that's yeah. that's that's probably the shoe it reminds me of the most hmm. that's a good one cool yeah although this can go a little bit faster i will say than the hupana but right we're transitioning to our next shoe we double shoe review day pretty exciting and we're going to be talking about another Saucony shoe the Saucony Axon 2. Uh, the original Axon was kind of this sneaky drop. They didn't, it wasn't even on the original list to send to testers, but we saw it in the catalog and we're like, hey, we'd love to test that one. A budget shoe with more of a maximal stack rocker. Let's check it out. So um, the shoe, if you remember the original Axon, kind of a silhouette, pretty similar to the Shift. And 
but they, they've made some updates. We'll talk about them, but here's a couple of the specs. So you're looking at a four millimeter drop again, 35 millimeters in the heel, 31 in the forefoot. It's got a full power run uh, midsole. We don't know details on the updates they made to that midsole, but we can talk about the feel difference if there is any. It's got that uh, pretty aggressive forefoot rocker design and uh, it comes in at $100. So of the $100 options that sit out there, this is pretty unique uh, in that it's a very heavily dependent on a rocker sole and has a higher stack to it. The other thing to note is it's got a lot of rubber coverage, and so the forefoot is pretty much full rubber. Like, there aren't a lot of flex grooves in there, and we'll talk about the impact of that, and we'll see if it stood the test of Matt's running the Destroyer. Okay, so when you guys look at the two... Uh, how's how's the fit of this shoe? Does it compare to what we just talked about in the Freedom, or is it a little bit different than that? It's to me, it's different. Um, whereas the Freedom was a little bit more snug and kind of like you're almost like that lifestyle-ish. Like this one, I actually had to really cinch down the upper. There's a little bit more room here, at least I found. It's not the roomiest for sure because there is there is a taper in the forefoot, but. It's just a little bit more volume through the upper. Upper is different. I would say it's a little thicker than last time. There's a little bit more mesh material here. It felt just a little bit warmer. Yeah, that's all I got. I forgot to say, too, uh, the weight. My bad. 9.6 ounces for a men's size 9 and 8.5 for a women's size 8. So, David, what do you got on fit with this one? Yeah, I mean, compared to V1, I think they did an awesome job. Yes. For those that read my job, my review on the first one, I, and I'm so sorry, Saucony, I couldn't run in it. And I wanted to like it. I really did. And I, yeah. and I just couldn't run in it. And I still have a hard time kind of running in the second version. But I think that's my own sensitivity to what's going on right here. Um, with that said, though, with the upper updates, it locks down a lot better. There's still some volume issues, I think, especially coming through the midfoot. I did have to heel lock it, especially for how sharp of a rocker the shoe has. I had to get connected to that platform. But with that said, I really like the ride of this shoe. I, I want to love this shoe. It just doesn't want to love me. And it makes me sad. Because, like, I can pretty much only run, like, six or seven miles in it before my foot starts to hurt. And then I'm like... Yeah, and what Just do you get? It's kind of sad the rest of the day. You get some midfoot irritation, right? Yeah, it's definitely midfoot. It's like right where that encapsulation, like not encapsulation, but the essentially the outsole kind of like wraps up and around here and it gets really firm on both the medial and lateral aspect and just hugs it and creates almost like an artificial sidewall. And I think for the purposes of the shoe, it does a great job. I'm just, for whatever reason, my foot's sensitive to it. But when I have it laced down and locked down, like the, for being a hundred dollar shoe, man, the shoe is really fun to run in. And it's got a really sharp toe spring. So if you're sensitive to that, like meaning like a curvature up front here, you just like fall right off the front of it. But the trans, the transition from the heel through the midfoot going into that toe spring is moderate enough that you just feel like you're rolling. Like you just like, I almost have to like watch my pace and be like, okay, we're running easy. Like, don't, don't go any faster than you need to go. Cause you feel like you want to go. Um, 
it's just a fun shooter run in. And I, I wish that my midfoot would agree with this a little bit more. It just doesn't. And uh, but it's not their fault. Like, yeah. it's a I DJ think it's still problem. a great shoe. <laughs> I yeah, think it's my problem. They come. You combine that rubber part, and there is a pretty. You can see on the design here the midsole comes up and that is an actual sidewall in the shoe as well. So you combine the, you know, the firmness that you get from this rubber wrapping up here with the actual sidewall right in that spot. And I think it just, it doesn't work for you. Um, Do either of you guys still have version one? Cause for some reason I remember that being plastic and version one. It, it was the same as this one. It was the same. Okay. Yep. Yep. It was the same kind of a, but it's a pretty firm rubber, like the rubber they use on this shoe. It's definitely firm. Yeah. There's a reason I can't flex this thing. And it's because yes, you have some stack here, but I have, I have stack of 34 that I can bend, but this rubber is so thick and I mean, it's not going anywhere and it's not going to bend, which gives you that really aggressive, uh, tote, you know, even just, it's one of those shoes you stand in and it feels like you're falling forward for sure. My one thing with all of the new Saucony shoes this year, this is my, in, in, in line with my thoughts about laces sometimes where I'm a lace snob at times, I think that they put some of the least usable pull tabs on this round of shoes this year. Oh, I love them. You love love it. Oh, I had one that already broke too. I was like, Oh man. Cause it like, it's so tight like on there. It's, it's like an elastic. elastic pull tab. Oh, I hate it. Cause you got to like work to get your hand in there. Like I'm not going to do, not going to use a pull tab. It's supposed to make my life easier. But but I'm glad, again, I'm glad you, you like live it. in Wisconsin. I guess like it's super cold. Hands aren't working. Yes, you're trying to grab something with fine motor <laughs> skills, and you're like, "Why aren't you pulling?" Like, so <laughs> I, I get it. That's true. I didn't I didn't think about that, but that's definitely a reality. Because I mean, even in in my house down, like our upstairs might be like sixty eight to seventy degrees, and then downstairs is like fifty two in the morning because of how cold it is outside. So. You go down there and your hands don't want to work that well. But I didn't realize this was a pull tab, so because it was so tight. <laughs> I was I like, "Oh, it. it's like my it favorite do- thing." Oh, it does actually no do why. this. So I hate it. Oh, it's DJ on the freedom, by the way, too. Except it's, on it's the like vertically oriented. Like the other one's more horizontal, whereas this one's vertical. But you can still like. Yeah. Awkward. I didn't notice that either. I'm just like, oh, that's a nice bit of mesh. That must be some interesting design thing for looks. Oops. David's the good, I'm the bad, oh, and Matt's the ugly there. With he didn't yeah. even know it existed. I don't know. So <laughs> I Matt, have 51 about, miles on this too. That's really bad. Why don't <laughs> like you tell running. us about your running experience in this shoe and, and some of your thoughts on it? Yeah, I actually I'm having a similar situation to version one, where I'm really enjoying that as opposed to David. Uh, the, that rigidity through the midfoot works very, 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 very well for me. Like it, it just creates a lot of stability for me in a rigid way. And so my mechanics, because I've got a lot of mobility, it tends to work well. If you have, David, what kind of feet do you have in terms of like rigid, mobile, normal? I mean, I like to think it's pretty normal. Like I don't, I have a, I mean, maybe a slightly higher arch than normal. So maybe a tiny bit rigid, but I still pronate like every other person. Right. I wouldn't say excessively, but just pretty neutral mechanics overall. Right. So I'm I'm pretty hypermobile, and especially in my midfoot. So I really like a rigid shoe. So I think this rigidity actually works very well for someone like me. It's you know 
it's like the endorphin shift where oftentimes if you need something that has like natural stability through it, through the midfoot, it works really well. You just have to be a little cautious because it is so rigid. And to be honest, I did have some pain initially when I was breaking the shoe and I'm like, well, this is really stiff. That lasted like half a mile and then it broke in. The shoe broke in really nicely and I've used it for 51 plus miles for everything. I've used it for workouts, for long runs, for tempo effort. It's been like one of those shoes where I don't normally use trainers for workouts and I'm like, I'm just going to keep grabbing this because it's, I like it. The, uh, it's very, you know, it's rockered, it's rigid. You got to learn to use this for those of you that haven't been in shoes that are rockered and stiff without plates. You just, you got to get your rhythm in it. But I think the design here creates a lot of, a lot of rigidity that if you need that and you want that, it's going to feel really good. The foam does break in nicely. It was pretty firm when I first tried the shoe on, but it's over the 50 miles I have on it, it's broken into that kind of really nice balance that I like in a shoe that I want to be able to use as a trainer, but also one that can really quick, I can start doing a workout in. So it was great. I did, um, the last time I ran at Glendora Mountain Road, for those of the, you, those that know Southern California, I've, I love kind of started to pull, push the pace going up those hills, like two and a, two and a half thousand feet, 2000 feet elevation gain over as far as you want to go. I usually go like six, seven to eight miles up and then down. There's a little like, um, what is it called? Like little stopping fire point. Road. Yeah. Not fire road, but oh, a um, lookout. Yeah. Kind oh, of look. a lookout area that you can go up to a lot of bikers go up there and come down. The last time I was like getting paces like this was in the audios pro. Um, the one of the more recent versions. And I was like hammering and I was doing the exact same paces in the shoe. It's not a racing flat, but it's one of those shoes. Like if you've got a high schooler that needs a do it all shoe, like can handle workouts, can handle runs and needs a little bit more rigidity, this is a great option. Or you're a newer runner that goes, I don't know how much I want to spend on these running shoes. I want something that, you know, I need a little bit more rigidity. I don't know about this, you know, these other stability shoes. This might be a really good option. Like I really liked it for that. So yeah, do a lot. I can do a good amount. I think of it as one of those shoes. We talk about shoe rotations and the potential of those being helpful for decreasing injury because of the variability that it gives to your body. If you're not someone who has a rocker shoe and you want to try one, but you don't want to invest, you know, 160 in like an endorphin shift or something that has that rocker or a glide ride, which is also like 150, this can be a hundred dollar option. Um, that, that is quite different than what you're probably running in if you're not using rocker shoes. And the nice thing about this one, I think it's stiff enough for those people who have first toe, um, extension issues. Like this could be an option for you. That's, it's really, um, really stiff up front. Uh, one question I had for you guys, we get this, we've gotten this question a lot when we've talked about drop and rockers and things like that. People ask the question, does a, does a rocker offset your drop? So let's say this one, so this one is a four millimeter drop, you know, does the presence of a rocker like this one make it more or less of a drop? Like how does, how does, how does rocker and drop interact with each other? Yeah, I think you have to look at the midsole composition and durometer of the foam. I mean, it's easy to look at things like a static measurement and say, okay, you have 28 in the heel, 24 in the forefoot, whatever it is. And then be like, oh, is that an aggressive shoe? Well, no, it's not because it has a rocker. Well, that's only true if it's a really firm-based foam and like that rocker works that way and you're just rolling forward. And some of these shoes where they have a much softer foam you're going to suspend it and you're going to load that forefoot. So I think there's a reason why you're seeing some of these racing shoes where they're starting to get a little bit higher in that foam 
I mean, it's higher in that drop ratio because of what their foam is doing. Uh, unless you have something like the Alpha Fly that is more rigid up front, and because of its of how soft the Zoom X is, it's still pretty like it gets you onto that forefoot, but then you kind of fall right off of it. Whereas the Vaporfly is still an eight millimeter drop. So I think it just depends on the geometry of the shoe, what they're trying to accomplish. I think the question is just much bigger than drop ratio and yes. rocker. It just depends on what else is in the shoe. And the foam, the foam is that other, I feel like the other biggest factor of that is how, how compressive is the foam for sure. Yeah. And, and is there a plate or is there not a plate? Like what's helping holding the structure? Like, yeah, just midsole composition in general. I think for a shoe like, like this one, there's the potential that there is an offsetting quote unquote of the drop where, because you know, the foam is not super compressive or soft. So you kind of will maintain dynamically probably somewhere close to that four millimeter drop ratio there. Um, but you have such an aggressive toe spring that we know when you have a certain one, you can offload the calf uh, from a biomechanical loading perspective. So if you're thinking about drop and its relation to potentially loading the, the complex behind the calf, then I could see something like this where it doesn't have a lot of compression and a pretty rigid uh, aggressive rocker being something where this might act more like a six to eight millimeter drop shoe versus like some of the, the ones that David mentioned. Cool. Matt, it's you got anything to add there? Yeah, it's definitely not a high drop shoe. And, and David, Nathan, were totally right where there's a lot of other factors that go in, you know, a shoe that's super soft, right. And you might have some very, with, you know, the alpha fly is kind of the exception, even though I do caution patients that have ankle mobility issues, um, from shoes like the Alpha Fly or the Metaspeed Sky, just because, especially if you're if you're landing in the rear foot, that foam is going to compress so much. Now you're into a negative drop position, right? And so some people can handle that. Other people, if you've got limitations there, you just got to be a little cautious. And sometimes with those shoes, if you're running faster and transitioning, that's okay. Uh, for a shoe like this, because again, the foam is firm enough, and if you're moving at a decent clip, it, yeah, the, this toe spring is very aggressive, so it will roll you forward. However, I would still encourage you that you need to have, you know, you do need to make sure you have enough mobility at your ankle if you're going to do this. Yes, this aggressive toe spring, the firmer sole will certainly offload your calves. That's something both from literature and I can feel personally in this one. You just, again, it's not, it's not the cure-all, but it's, it's it does. The, yeah, this rocker, I think, helps facilitate that a little bit, but because it is four millimeter drop, Anybody that has mobility deficits in the ankle because of the calf or the talocrural joint, which is your ankle joint, should be approached a little cautious. I have super stiff calves, and I did fine in this, but each person's going to be different. Yeah, I think for, for the people who have been asking that question, I think our answer is it will depend on the exact shoe because depending on what the heel rocker is too, you know, some of these shoes that have a forefoot rocker as well still feel like a negative drop because of the heel rocker. So the geometry, the foam and what the actual rocker is like and how flexible it is, is all going to matter. So we can't, there, it isn't one answer for that one, which is pretty typical. So before we jump into our next segment, we're actually starting something rather new here at the round table. We have our first podcast sponsor shout out. It's pretty cool. We're excited about it. It's going to help us really continue what we're doing and allow us to maybe put some more time into what we do. Uh, so it's something new to us outside of the stock anchor one that you've, if you're listening on podcast, you've heard that at the beginning. Um, so it's different than that, uh, but we'll be introducing these a little bit more as we move forward. So today's episode is actually brought to you by Running Warehouse, who we've 
been affiliates with for a long time. Really like their staff. Uh, they they do I think a really good job at making things available to runners that are important to runners. And they'll you'll basically find anything you need from any brand from them. Uh, we you know we we buy a lot of our own stuff there. One of the things I love is their return policy that I think shows their runner friendliness <laughs> that they want people to get the right product. I think it's like 90 days, do whatever you want in it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we, we buy a lot of our stuff from there. And so you can check out the show notes below for a description of some of our current favorite things that we get from running warehouse. And right now on running warehouse in the month of March, uh, in 2022, they have their spring savings happening through this month. And on the 15th, there's going to be extra, extra drops in price, um, that, that will start happening again on the 15th. You can save up to 40% on brands like Rabbit, Hoka, Brooks, Patagonia, and some others. So go to www.runningwarehouse.com to check out the spring savings deals that they got going on. So here we go. We're in our final segment. We are going to be talking about how a shoe should fit. Um, Again, we've been talking about uppers a lot here because they're important. Uh, So let's kind of just, Matt, if you would for us, just give us a landscape of when you go look for a running shoe, when you go to a store or you go online, what are you going to learn about fit with, like with, and what is, what are you going to see when you go out there? So you'll probably see a variety of things out there. There's a couple of general rules that you might hear, which I think are actually pretty decent frequently. And the first is that your running shoes are not going to fit like your casual shoes. And that means you need to be open to size changes. There's a lot of people who are like, Oh, I always wear a size nine or a size eight. It's like, you're going to have to suspend that and try to make sure that you have a shoe that really gives your foot the room to act um, and work the way it needs to during the running motion, which is very different than walking because there's very different forces that occur. So making sure you have enough room is key. You also don't want to have too much room because that can cause other things that we'll talk about in a second. So a good general rule of thumb is when you put a shoe on, there should be about, and I know everybody has different thumbs, so this is a general rule, (laughs) about a thumb to a half thumb's width between the end of your longest toe and the end of the shoe. It's a general shoe. shoe, And that's standing, by the way, because your foot volume will change depending on when you're sitting versus you're standing. Generally, your foot volume increases, right? The length increases as you stand up, right? Because there's more weight and the bones kind of decompress a little bit whatever term you want to use for that. So make sure standing up that there's a thumbs width to a half thumbs width. It's also better to get shoes tried on in the afternoon or later on because people's feet generally swell through the day. So if you try something on early in the morning, it may not feel the same later in the day. So usually say try it on when your feet are around, not to be the most swollen, but they're or when they're a little bit larger. Uh, Because your feet need room to breathe. You don't want the shoe so sloppy that your foot is sliding around because that's when you start worrying about blisters or friction injuries and things like that. But you want it to hug your foot in a way that your foot can still breathe, meaning your toes still have enough room. They shouldn't unless, you know, certain people doing like sprinting and and like middle distance track races having may want a shoe that that has like a ton of security and really locks everything down for a long distance shoe you don't want that you want your toes to have enough room where they can move at least a little bit they shouldn't be smashed in there where you've got like toes over each other right because that's 
if you think about what happens long term to like muscles and, and like tendons and they are they will adapt to the things you put in them and they'll they'll stay in that place so you want to have enough room for things to wiggle a little bit and you also get want to have enough length at the end of the shoe so when you're running because you will move just a little bit you don't want those black toenails that are stereotypical with running right that comes from having a poor fitting shoe foot feet are sliding forward running into the end you don't want that. But you also don't want it too long because then the flex point of the shoe where it pivots where normally your foot should extend like this, if you're not in the right place, that's going to put forces in areas that maybe that weren't intended where that shoe was designed, right? Also can risk sliding, friction injuries, things like that. So generally, that's kind of the, the big rules of thumb starting out. The things that they won't tell... Yeah, Nathan, okay. Rules of thumb. Yeah, you rules of thumb. got the thumbs with. That's good. Am I still on track? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah, man, don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) When when you see like D with, E with, whatever, do those have any, what kind of water do those hold and how much stock should you put in them? Yeah, that's a really good question. The answer is, as usual, which everybody hates when we we all say it anyway, is it depends. Generally, those denunate the, am I saying that right? The, they talk about the denote the width. So for and this doesn't always is this isn't always true. So I'm going to put a little asterisk sign behind this. Traditionally in the industry, a D width was a normal width for men, and a B width is a normal width for women. Right. So that typically, if you get a traditional shoe in each in each gender category, that's that's the the B width women's shoe is is a little bit narrower. Men's D width is a little bit wider. You will also see men's shoes that are a specific narrow width that are a B, and then there are and then the wide width for that would be a two uh, E E, which is E is not as common, but two E is traditionally what's what's generally utilized. There are some companies like New Balance that will do those variations, but yeah, David's right. It's E. 2e you won't usually see 3e um 4e and then it goes up from there um but yeah it generally talks about the width of the shoe and a lot of times how that width is done actually depends on what area of the world you're in Hmm. so japan when they do side they do widths they typically have more width that occurs in the forefoot Whereas in the United States, they do it around the whole shoe, right? So the heel, midfoot, forefoot will get wider, which may be what you're also looking for. But in some people who are looking for getting width in a certain part of the shoe, that may or may not work. And that's where adjusting lacing and trying to make stuff work for you can can come in. Do you uh, do you know when they're changing between a D and a 2E or a B, yeah. Are they actually changing the platform width or is this all coming from upper accommodation and they just put more upper there? You know, I I thought I knew the answer and for some reason I can't remember off the top of my head. Does, yeah. Do you two know the answer? I want to say most companies it's upper accommodation because uh, I would change the last and surface area underneath. However, I, I don't have a definitive answer on that, but yeah. there are some companies like Carhu where they'll take a look at the volume within the shoe and then they'll create their wide option where it's not necessarily quote unquote wide, but it's a high vo, high volume yeah. option for the shoe. And they change the just upper. one example, um, but every company has their own way of doing it. But I want to say most of it's upper accommodation. Yeah. That's we a should, really we'll, good question. That's a we'll great question. We'll have to reach anybody, out to a few people and. 
Get and if anybody you. knows, throw that down in the comments because I know we got some really awesome people that that follow us that work in the industry. So that's that's a great question. Yeah, sorry to ask a stumper. That's probably no. Good. That's that's good because <laughs> that you yeah, know keep if, if, on our it, toes. if it is if it is the actual like width of the sole too, that might explain why not a lot of companies don't do it because to change that shape, the mold, the last. That's what I was thinking. That it's is, expensive. it's super expensive. One company that I talked to quoted me at like every time you want to just make a little change, it's like seven thousand yeah, dollars just crazy. for that small change. So like going from like even the fact that going from like size nine to nine and a half. That's, that's very expensive to make that change. And so you better make sure that thing is ready before you start production. Right. That's a great question. Yeah. Go ahead, David. I just, I just want to add one thing real quick. I agree with everything Matt said. Um, the only thing I didn't quite hear was taking a look at volume for your foot. And so say, let's say you're standing up when you're going to have a little bit more swelling later in the day, that is correct. You're going to have a little bit more swelling when you're standing, that is correct. You're going to have a little bit more swelling when you're 15 miles into a run as well. So your foot is going to expand based on the demands you put on it. So if that shoe is already feeling like bone tight when you're standing in it, chances are you're going to have some pressure on it 10 miles into your run. So I just want to bring this shoe up every chance I can. Heck yeah. Just, just to troll Nathan, because I love yeah. doing that. So I'm going to bring up for this conversation. <laughs> but yeah, like, so this is for the listeners out there. I'm holding up the Skechers XCR, and like, it's a great lockdown upper, very snug, very performance-oriented. Like, this is a cross-country flat. This is like the definition of a cross-country flat. But for Nathan, like, it made his foot go numb. And it was a little too tight. So if you're feeling like it's tight to begin with, and then you go and take it for a set amount of distance, that might not end up working well for you. So that's all I ought to say. I mean, and then just taking a look at like individual lasts as well. Some companies, yep. the way that platform feels on your foot and the way the upper actually molds around it, it could be a great upper, but if it just doesn't fit your foot quite right, that could also lead to irritation down the road. So that's why you'll have some people, they swear by Asics, they swear by New Balance, they swear by Nike, whatever. Like th- those shoes just might work well for their feet. And there is some variation even within the same company, but um, just kind of seeing how that foot feels on your foot and whether or not it feels nice. And throwback with the volume thing, a throwback to the Freedom 5. Like I said, I haven't gotten miles in it yet, but the reason I personally wouldn't take that for a long run is because I already have pressure across the top of my feet. So it's not just compression from the sides, but I have that compression from the top that I just feel like there's restriction on my toes. And there are some shoes that I run in that I get like little blisters on the top of my toes because I have a little bit of a higher volume foot up and down. I have a narrower foot, but it's higher up and down if that makes any sense to y'all. But uh, I think, like you said, volume is important. Matt, what you got? And I would say that every, so it's not, so when we when we talk about last, I think we need to clarify what that means. That's the shape of the shoe, right? And each shoe company, even within the company, will have last based on different things. So some, some companies will take the shapes of a bunch of different people's feet and do an average of that. Sometimes it will be based on an elite athlete. Sometimes it's based on a group of wear testers. So that shape will vary and your, your, I don't want to say challenge, but your goal should be finding the fit that closest, that's the best match to your foot. It might not be exact. Um, that's also one of the reasons this, this whole thing started was me trying to find something that fit my foot perfectly and like, and rode perfectly. And I haven't 
truly found the perfect one yet, but that's because no one's made a shoe based on my foot yet. So <laughs> it might change. But yeah, having something that, and then, no. yeah, hopefully, and then it doesn't work for anybody else. Um, but have it, you need to make sure a shoe is fitting your foot well. And, you know, there are some situations where you might want things a little bit more snug, but you need your, your foot, your feet need to be able to breathe, right? They need to be secure, but breathe. Cause one of the, there's some really important structures when you get out into your extremity. So whether it's hand or feet, the arteries, nerves, and veins are a lot more exposed there than they are in other places, right? So if you're going toward like your abdomen or your back, a lot of those arteries and veins are much deeper. A lot of the nerves tend to be a little, a lot deeper in there. Here, they're much more exposed. And especially when it comes to nerve, which is frequently what people get irritated, nerves need three things. They need space, blood flow, and movement. If you take any of those three things away, you're going to get, it's, your nerves are going to start talking to you. And most commonly, that's people's feet going numb. There are some situations where you can get arterial or venous um, compression, and that can also cause some numbness for different reasons. But one of the more common ones is the is nerve compression in that area. So again, that's why we always encourage you, make sure the shoe has enough room for you. Not too much, right? Not so you're sliding around, but it's finding that Goldilocks fit as much as you can is really important. Not just because you know, from a performance standpoint, but also because like from a tissue health standpoint, it's really not healthy to have shoes that are too small or are smashing your feet too much just because things do need to breathe, but you don't want it too big. So it'll slide. Right. So question for you guys, uh, I'm not going to throw any names out there for this, but I've, you know, if you've been in the shoe world, you've seen pictures of, uh, a an image of a foot standing on a platform spilling over the edges. And then you've seen it standing on a platform perfectly fitting inside like an anatomical toe box. How valid do you think the test of, you know, take the insole out of the shoe, step on the step on the insole. Does your foot, you know, flow over the edges? How valid is that for a test to know if the shoe is too tight or not? Uh, And how much, you know, when you see images like that online, it makes it look like every running shoe is awful unless it has an anatomical toe box. Um, what do you guys think about those two ideas? First off, nothing we do is static. Right. So you're going to move. Everything's going to be dynamic. What you see on the insole from a very flat, static, still frame does not tell you how that shoe is going to run. It doesn't tell you how accommodating that upper is. I mean, because this, we're talking about the insole, right? So you yep. can add a tiny little bit of width on the outside of that for upper accommodation and the rest of the shoe. With that said, I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe some shoes fit a little too tight for some. But again, I think you got to put the shoe on first. You can't just look at an insole. You can't just look at a sock liner or something like that and just be like, okay, so this this isn't going to work. This is This is too narrow. You can't just look at that alone. Uh, and base your decision off of that. I think it's a good teaching tool. Like if you're trying to get somebody who like doesn't have very good proprioception or body awareness to go, hey, this may not work for you. I think it's a good teaching tool, but it's kind of like looking at outsole wear patterns, which we talked about before. It's kind of like, why are you looking at that when you could just look at how the person runs or how the shoe actually fits on their foot, right? If their foot, if you put the shoe on and their feet are hanging over the edge of the shoe, that's pretty much all you need to know. That's probably not the best 
option, right? There might be one random person that seems to do super well on that. For the most part, that's probably not going to work. The extra act of taking the insole out and then doing it, it's like, well, you don't have the rest of the volume of the shoe, right? That's only looking at the last. It's not looking at the actual height, the width that the upper can stretch. So there's a lot of other factors that don't get in. So I, you know, to be fair, a lot of the, like David mentioned, a lot of those static foot tests have been found to be absolutely not valid at all. Like you should not use the wet paper test to look at your arch height or to look at width because we've, it's static movement and static and static is something of there is a very good place to start, but it does not always correlate or tell you the story of what's happening when they're moving or even how the rest of the shoe is fitting. So I can understand yeah. why my people use it. I don't think it's the best option. Just put the shoe on your foot. I think it's one of those where it can be, if you decide to do it, it can be a, a step in the process. Like right. if someone steps on there and they're like full first rate is not on the platform because your foot's that yeah. wide, probably won't be the shoe for you because of a lot of reasons. But I think in most cases... Um, unless you have a really unique foot type, you might, you're going to fit into a lot more shoes than you think you, you do. And I, th- the reason I wanted to bring it up too, is I think the pictures make every running shoe look awful unless it's an anatomically shaped toe box. Um, and that's not, most running shoes aren't like what they draw necessarily right. on there. So worth checking out what you got. Yeah. to do. Yeah. And I think one really interesting thing, especially in these times is when we're in such a wild west of innovation, these sock liners and insoles are being used as a piece of the footwear. Mm-hmm. Like some of them are used not only just for cushion, but for sidewalls, for rigidity, for different kinds of things. Um, like if I take this shoe, it's not even just a picture of the last. If I pull this out yep. here live on camera and I pull it in, this is the pressure imprint that I made. This is the the quite literal little mini wall that gets formed on the side of it. So if I'm standing on it from a flat static perspective, you're not going to get the full range of this shoe. You look at something like an on shoe and they have a lot of them integrate different kinds of little walls and things like that inside of the insole. Mm-hmm. So this is like had a, a big wall too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't just take that individual component of a shoe and just be like, it's not going to work for me. Or this is it. This is it. This is the one. This is the one shoe that that's going to work for me. You can't make a decision based on that one factor. Like now more than ever, I think you need to be more skeptical than people looking at a single individual characteristic of a shoe, whether it's a midsole, whether it's an outsole, insole, whatever. When we talk about narrow uppers and kind of compressing the toes for let's let's stick in like kind of the long run daily training kind of a thing is there a risk if it's too narrow that you will form things like bunions do we know do bony do bony deformities happen because of tight running shoes have they done any long-term etiology studies on that do we, and do we know anything about uh like high heels and like that stuff there, I think they're actually, you know, I, I need to look at the evidence on that. I think there has been some evidence on high heels and shortening of the Achilles. But actually, like, this is you got to realize when we talk about injury risk studies, these are really hard to do. I got to give a shout out to someone that we just had on here who's uh, Laurent Maslow, Dr. Laurent Maslow, who's done a lot of research in this area trying to figure out how can we look at running shoes and predicting injuries 
just it a little. Is so yeah, go for it. Yeah, that's a, that's a sneak peek. We haven't we haven't released oh, yeah, that yet. Oh my bad. <laughs> but you, you interviewed him soon, soon yeah. to be on. Soon to be on. Yeah, it is interviewed re- him. It's really hard to do those studies because you need hundreds, if not thousands, of people to make sure that's predicted, and we just don't have that evidence. You know, it might make it can make sense logically that go, yeah, it would make sense from a toe box that's kept you here that your foot would do that. But certain people might be able to bounce back from that. Certain people might or might not. So, you know, the higher the like the high heel stuff. Yeah, there's been a good number of studies and case studies um, throughout from both physicians and podiatrists, especially and there's a couple, I think a couple PT ones on looking at like heels and the impact of their design on like uh, hammer toes and shortening of the Achilles. I can't remember if there's stuff on narrow toe, toe box and bunion formation. Do either of you know? Nothing off I the don't... top of my head. I mean, most of the stuff that I've seen has been exactly what you said. Just Achilles shortening and things like that. And I think it also matters too. There's just so many variables. Like how much time are you actually spending in said footwear? Right. How much time are you in the footwear and loading your foot, not just in it, but like actually creating a amount of mechanical change on the foot? And then how are you moving in it? Because some people still might be pivoting off of that region and not spinning off of it. Because that was a theory for a long time was where it's like, okay, great toe isn't moving. It's adducted. It's pulled like this. Therefore, when you get up on it, you're just going to spin off of it and not use it and then create some tissue on the lateral aspect there and push that toe in. I, I can't tell you for sure whether or not that's going to happen because you wear high heels, you know, like I, I don't know. That's just not out there or, or a running shoe. That's a little narrow. Um, and some of these shoes, they want them to be narrow on purpose so that you supinate like that, especially in these performance shoes, like spikes and middle distance shoes. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. I think it, it's, it's one of those things where I think if you're wearing extremes of shoes all the time and keeping your foot there, that's where I would get concerned, right? If you're smashing those toes all the time, if you're in a really elevated heel, unless you really need that elevated heel, right? There are some people that have a forefoot equinus or very, very limited mobility there. And they actually need that, right? But for, you know, others that are in these like compressed situations, if you're in that for only a short time, if you're like, you know, 20, 30 minutes out of your entire day, and then you're in something, you're like barefoot, are you moving around? Are you making sure that you undo some of those changes, you're probably fine, right? Like it's not going to kill you. But if you're wearing a shoe that's that compressive 10, 12 hours a day for, you know, 10, 20 years, then we're going to, then we might see some tissue changes, but it's really hard for the research to look at that because who like, who has the time to like, it's really hard to do those kind of studies. It's so much effort, so much patient. And a lot of times you lose so many subjects that the, the, the study doesn't have enough power. It doesn't have enough oomph to actually know you can trust the results. So yeah. Right. So I'd say and don't do be afraid of those. That study? You, d- you don't. It's, those are those cool. Because it's like you're going to really have to hard. change to the pair of shoes. You can't just right. be like, here's your no, pair no. of shoes. It's going to stay the same for yeah. 10 years. You lock them on their feet. Yeah, exactly. It's like a sweet, you use the, it's a lace lock that yeah. just like locks them on there. You can't take them off. Yeah. They're locked them. into the they study. You just get nailed on, but. <laughs> there's, there's two things. Oh gosh. There's yeah. two things. <laughs> Sorry. Too far. <laughs> two things. No, you're good. <laughs> just that sounds awful. 
Um, anyway, uh, something I'm else not allowed to do shock value comments. You are. You do uh, them all the time. No, uh, I forget. So, something that is interesting uh, too, in terms of fit, is the presence of sidewalls. Sidewalls are used all the time now. They weren't used all the time in the past, but now they're always there. And w- depending on where a sidewall sits, for example, with the Axon Two for David, and uh, even Bach has said the same thing it can really push into your foot in the wrong spot and cause some bad blisters. People talk about the Hoka blister, you know, like right on the inside of the arch. Like people, people get that because of the sidewalls. So, you know, sidewall is going to be important for people. Um, and it may be helpful for, again, providing some support in an area you need it, or it could be abrasive if it's where you don't need it. And I think we're starting to see shoe companies shift kind of how they're approaching fit you see things like with brooks you have the stealth fit and then the kind of i don't know what the other one's called the regular fit but people can start to customize their uppers based on what they want Ultra's kind of doing something similar where they have different uh you know they're not calling it double e or d or b they just have three different types of uppers that have different accommodations for different foot types so i think it's getting it's not it's it's hard to standardize this stuff because you'd have to say okay brooks new balance saucony puma whoever follow these rules for fit you have for a d you have to make it be this many millimeters wide at this point of the shoe and that's just not happening so it's not standardized it's hard to find a shoe if you can't go try it on it's one of the difficult things about buying online uh is trying to find the right shoe but Hopefully you can find a place with a good return policy if it doesn't fit you right. Um, so what you got, Matt? Yeah, so the Brooks is called, it's stealth fit, and then it's plain view fit or obvious fit. Ah, uh, plain view kidding. fit? I'm just kidding. That sounded oh. funnier in my head, and then I said it, and I'm like, that <laughs> it's, was It's dumb, so funny right? when, when you have to, my Jana always says to me, if you have to explain the joke to me, you know it was a good joke. But I actually get it now. Okay. That's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right we're gonna we gotta wrap up Sorry, we're actually Brooks. running we're, we're running long but uh oh running long run ah, ah, that was a lot know. better than my hey. joke uh but i want to hear at least one recommendation for a shoe for people with narrow feet the best ones that come to your head and for those with wide feet um or high volume feet what pops into your head for narrow feet the x-step RC RC two sixty is the most narrow thing I've ever experienced, and my foot is hanging off the edge. Uh, that review <laughs> is coming. I I hope the people appreciate the effort I put in to get that thing because I almost got injured in that shoe. And now that I've reviewed it, I'm not running another step in it. Um, most narrow shoe. Yeah. So that's a narrow shoe. <laughs> yes. Helpful. That's a helpful narrow shoe <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> what other ones you guys yeah, got? Yeah, running it again. <laughs> uh, I feel like from a last standpoint, upper and sidewall integration, like Nike and Hoka tend to run a little bit on the narrow side through the midfoot, yep. even though Hoka has the wide base underneath. The upper itself and the integration, it does tend to be, just in general, a little bit more narrow through that region. Um, anatomical wise, like wide forefoot. I mean, you've got your topos, you've got your ultras. Um, they're a little bit different as far as the midfoot and heel configuration and things like that. But, um, new balance tends to be a little bit on the wider end. They seem to work a little well for people. Um, 
And they usually offer. They also more are good types. about integrating. Yeah, they offer widths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're good about offering widths as well. Um, yeah, I mean, those are probably the ones that come up to mind immediately. Yeah. Man, you got any others besides the X-Step RC 260X or whatever? that I'm never running it again. Um, David hit it on the head there with, you know, Nike and Hoka running a little bit more on the narrow side. I know Hoka is trying to change that a little bit. Uh, When it comes to things that are wider, definitely agree with New Balance. Um, In the past, you could sometimes say Saucony and Brooks, but it's really been very dependent. I think the companies have changed a lot. Um, ASICs was another one that t- tended to run a little bit narrow and now some of their last are changing and some of them are running a little bit slightly wide. So any, again, different shoes. So I'd say what David said was good. A lot of the other companies, it really depends on the shoe and the kind of the shoe type and it can vary all over the place. Yeah. Maybe we'll do another episode where we dive into some other specifics for different types of runs. Um, yeah. I would put the freedom in a more narrow, narrow foot category. I uh, would too, but I haven't ran in it, so I can't, can't vouch for it. Perfect. Well, thank you everybody for hanging with us today. We got two shoe reviews in and we got to talk about fit. Uh, we want to give another thank you to running warehouse for sponsoring this episode. And if you want to follow what we're doing, you can check us out as always on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the random shout out today will be for Pinterest because we have a Pinterest account. So go and check that out. Uh, if you have questions about the episode, feel free to email us at doctors of running podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to start using that as our platform that we inter- uh, interact with people regarding the podcast. And we would love to hear your thoughts and questions and hopefully we can integrate them in future episodes. Have a great night, everybody or day or morning or whatever. 